Yeah, I mean, that, that is a very big challenge. You're, you're spot on there. I mean, um, and, and, and I don't, don't think it's for the lack of will. I think at least now, I mean, most banks really want to do things fast, but it's just, it's hard to be a bank. Mm. Um, digital, fight for digital talent and all this regulation. And I mean, in, banks need to be conservative institutions in many ways and make sure that security, data privacy, basic IT and the regulator is always changing things. So 80% of what banks do is just keeping their license and, and the regulator happy. So it's relatively small things they can do digitally. But in that space, we, we operate. And, um, and and yeah, I think it's aligning to their speed, uh, influencing them in a positive way. But, um, but some of the, one of the challenges that I, for example, is when you launch a new solution or a new version of the digital bank with some of our solutions, often with 10% more effort, mm -hmm. you would get maybe double the impact by doing a little bit of ongoing iteration. I think right. that, that's been a, sometimes frustrating to see a bank spends a lot of energy implementing our solution. And I think it applies generally, not just to our solution. And then often they move on to the next thing without doing the little bit of further fine tuning to really kind of multiply the impact. So more of an ongoing evolution mindset. Hello, my name is Chris, head of content at Nordic Fintech Magazine. And welcome back to another episode of The Future Of. And today we're going to be talking about digital transformation. As we know, digital transformation is a difficult undertaking for any organization. Many incumbents fail in their attempts to change their mindset, the behavior, the practices, and the technology that will help them remain competitive, which presents a market opportunity for companies that can bring speed, technology, and agility to service them. Fintechs have seized the opportunity to serve as surrogates for incumbents, helping them modernize their digital experiences and to keep up with customer expectations. A company that has successfully equipped banks and other financial institutions serving over 100 million customers worldwide with state-of-the-art digital experiences is Meniga out of Iceland. We had the opportunity to sit down with their founder, Jörg Ludvigsson, to understand how fintech companies are helping banks stay at the forefront of their business. In this session, you'll learn more about how Meniga is ultra-personalizing experiences for millions of banking customers, making digital banking smart, intuitive, and relevant. Our banking history tells a story about our lives, and it's about time that banks use that knowledge to help customers live better financial lives. So, Georg, uh, great seeing you, great meeting you. Thank you for spending time with us today. No, happy to be here. Awesome. So let's just start. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, so my name is Georg Ludwigsson. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Maniga. Mm -hmm. Maniga is uh, providing banks with uh, building blocks for next generation digital banking to help make it more smart and personal, mm -hmm. to help them drive sales and loyalty in, in digital banking. So we're an innovation partner to many of the leading banks in, in the world. Mm -hmm. um, we're also a Nordic company, but with a Silicon Valley mindset. We refer to ourselves as a mature startup at this stage. So we're not super early stage. We've been around for more than a decade, but uh, so we're 130 people, 10 million uh, ARR revenue uh, euros. And um, so we are uh, kind of an adolescent company. Right. Okay. And, and tell us a little bit about Miniga. What is it What is it that you do? What problem that you solve that, that banks can do themselves? No, I, I think we, uh, I mean, I started Manika more than 10 years ago because I'm, I'm deeply passionate about uh, personal finance. I think that's uh, one of the big topics of our world. 
has so much to do with quality of life, how people manage their personal finances. Like if you have a rainy day fund, when life hits you, that, that's a huge deal or not. Mm -hmm. And so many people are necessarily, I think, Karen, um, don't do that well. And, um, and uh, so I started Monique uh, built on the higher purpose that is still very much intact to help people lead better financial lives. Mm -hmm. But one of the early decisions and, and observations were I think these software solutions that I was uh, kind of envisioned and have been building belong in digital banking. So right. basically, um, the founding vision, which is still intact with, with, with the banks, is that uh, to stay relevant and close to their customers, the digital banks need to evolve from a place where you're just transacting, moving money, paying mm -hmm. bills, checking your balance, into more of a smart financial advisor. And um, if you do that well, you can accomplish a win-win situation, then the people will be better at managing their money. You're giving them more tools to be uh, kind of manage the money better and they will have more quali higher quality or better financial fitness. You will also increase the loyalty with the bank and you will create the feeling that my bank is helping me and therefore you're in a better position to sell them and recommend the right products at the right time mm -hmm. as in a very much long-term kind of thinking. And I think that's founding insight has never been more relevant than now when people are not visiting branches anymore or not meeting people face to face they have to move the advisory function inside the digital bank right and make it a smarter digital automatic advisor so that's what we're helping them with and and that's we're very early days with that i mean that's most banks are still highly transactional mm -hmm. and um, so there's uh, it's never been more exciting times ahead than, than right now indeed indeed so um, if i understand correctly you provide a solution to banks and then banks delight their customers through your Yes, we're a B2B2C. Mm -hmm. um, the only exception is, is Iceland, where we started, where we have a B2C directly. We have our household name here mm -hmm. and have a personal finance app and website where people can manage their money. That's only for the purposes of testing our functionality and get direct feedback from the end users. But the business we're in is selling software to banks yeah. so that they add these things to their digital banking uh, services. So we're B2B2C in, in that sense. And we power digital banks now that are used by more than 100 million people. Whoa, okay, so that's impressive. Um, now tell me, what do your customers say about Meniga and what do your customers' customers say about? Yeah, they're the very different things. I, I would say our customers, the banks, I mean, they would uh, say that we are very good innovation partners. Mm -hmm. I think and that's that's our ambition. We, And it's hard to, to partner with banks, but um, we, we try to help them, speed them up. We partner with banks that share our vision that the digital bank needs to become more of a smarter advisor mm -hmm. and, um, and that buy into that that helps them win more long-term business and loyalty. And um, so, um, I, I, yeah, I think they would tell they've helped uh, them create better digital banks, inspire loyalty, drive more sales, and generally they would be happy with our services. Um, and same for, the, for their customers, I think. Uh, and that probably of everything that this, um, on this journey, what gives me the most fulfillment and, and pride is when I hear about an end user like the digital banking user, whether it's in Iceland or in Singapore or Indonesia or wherever that is, uh, that has kind of tells us that they have improved their financial lives because of the solutions we, we provide through the digital bank. Like they have uh, been able to uh, save more or uh, manage their cash flow or, or, or kind of improve that part of their lives. That, that's very, so generally I think, yes, we, we don't claim to 
help all these hundred million people that our software touches. But I mean, I, I think we have, uh, we have, uh, we, that's, that, that means a lot to us. We try to do good in the world in that way by improving the financial lives of the users. Right. Okay. And then just now you mentioned that you help banks speed up. Yeah. Um, my question to you is what have been some of the main challenges that you found in partnering with banks that we know working at different speeds with different mindset? How have you navigated those challenges? Yeah, I mean, that, that is a very big challenge. You're, you're spot on there. I mean, um, and, and, and I don't, don't think it's for the lack of will. I think at least now, I mean, most banks really want to do things fast, but it's just, it's hard to be a bank. Mm. Um, digital, fight for digital talent and all this regulation. And I mean, in, banks need to be conservative institutions in many ways and make sure that security, data privacy, basic IT and the regulator is always changing things. So 80% of what banks do is just keeping their license and, and the regulator happy. So it's relatively small things they can do digitally. But in that space, we, we operate and, um, and, and yeah, I think it's aligning to their speed, uh, influencing them in a positive way. But, um, but some of the, one of the challenges that I, for example, is when you launch a new solution or a new version of the digital bank with some of our solutions, often with 10% more effort, mm -hmm. you would get maybe double the impact by doing a little bit of ongoing iteration. I think right. that, that's been a, sometimes frustrating to see a bank spends a lot of energy implementing our solution. And I think it applies generally, not just to our solution. And then often they move on to the next thing without doing the little bit of further fine tuning to really kind of multiply the impact. So more of an ongoing evolution mindset. Right. That, that's, a, that's one challenge. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, you, you mentioned that you've been in the market for, for 10 years. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm, I think it's safe to say that back, back then, digitalization was not a priority for banks. Mm -hmm. so, so how, from, on a personal pers uh, uh, point of view, how, how did you keep yourself motivated knowing that you were early in the market, but something yeah. that banks not, wouldn't necessarily know that they, that they actually wanted? Well, I would challenge that. I would say that 10 years ago, digitalization was a priority. I think it's been accelerated since though. And, and I, in that time frame, I can see a lot of improvement. I mm -hmm. think so in that sense, we're not cynical. We see banks generally in better in control of their data. They're, they're more likely to be able to do these kinds of digitalization projects. Many have moved beyond some of the basics and getting the basic things digital and now they're doing more interesting things. So I think it's, it's happening. They're also, but there's been a lot of kind of changes on the way. I mean, the big fintech wave that started maybe five, six years ago. I mm -hmm. mean, now just the level of attention and investment from VCs, from the external environment into this is, is 10 or 20x what it was when we were starting. So just the focus is so much more. Right. Also, there's been the rise of the neobanks or the challengers banks, which in many ways have defined kind of what good looks like in digital banking for the past few years. So that has put up been a strong impetus for many of the incumbent banks to kind of pick up their game. So that has helped our business. We have been in the business of helping them catch up and exceed to what the neobanks are, are, are doing. Mm -hmm. um, there's also the open banking movement, which is, um, or it's part of the open data movement, which uh, basically means that banks are now have to give access to transactional and payment accounts to, uh, to any company that has the permission of the user. Yep. So, um, uh, and, and, and I think, so that's been a central question. How can banks, beyond just providing that access, how can they take advantage of that, offer that the, their users a more of a holistic view of their finances, not just from the data or the business they do with them, but from other 
and how can they use that to uh, to their advantage. So the open banking uh, movement has been a big boost as well. And one of the core things we do with the banks we work with is to help them bridge those worlds. So we are not an open banking provider or connector, but we work so we work higher up the stack. But we in, take the data from open banking and the bank's internal data and we harmonize it and bridge it in a similar way so they can access it through the same APIs and build solutions, our solutions and others in their digital bank based on both their own data and open banking data. So you can think of our software as a middle layer between the core banking and on one hand and open banking data on the other hand. And then we enrich add a lot of use cases and, and, and business logic there. And then the banks can uh, build better digital banking with uh, on that on top of that layer. Right. Okay, um, then I want to touch on a subject that um, we, we, we started hearing a lot about maybe yeah. three, four years ago, which is using data to hyper-personalize mm -hmm. the customer experience. And of course, yeah. at, at, at that time, that was a trend and everyone was talking about it. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, looking at your website, I came across the term ultra-personalized. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us a little bit what's the difference between a hyper-personalized experience and an ultra-personalized experience? I don't think there's a difference. I, right. I think these are two words to describe the same thing. Right. But it's, but And it has been an ongoing trend for a while, but I think it's still very much relevant. I mean, one of the heart of what we, I mean, maybe half of our R&D is spent on um, uh, part of our product portfolio, which we call Insight Factory, which is basically about personalized insights. Mm -hmm. So using anything that happens in your financial life transactions to um, suggest something new and interesting to you. And, and it can be a new some product that the bank offers, but often it's just uh, telling you about a trend in your spending or something you may be interested in. And, um, and th that is a system that works on a on a very personalized level and you can we have uh, tools where banks and can define segments down to one person so I guess you can't get more personalized than to a one person segment so right. segment of one ultra personalization hyper personalization I think these are terms to describe more or less the same thing but um, mm. again most banks are still and, and many services are not that personalized you have the same interface and messages to the same people um, you can go so much further if you really pay attention and you think of it in banking I mean our spending tells us such a big story about our lives you can tell your hobbies your lifestyle your kind of uh, life stage are you getting married do you have kids these are relatively easy to spot from your transactions so and again, the, the, so the challenge for banks is do a good job without being creepy or invading your privacy right. to tell you something useful and interesting in a way that you uh, and, and, and related maybe to the services and products they provide to, again, help you lead a better financial life right. in a way that feels right to you. And, and data is the key to that. That's uh, it has to be personal. Right. And, and presumably also anticipate what you might need from them based on the, the yes, situation. Yes, absolutely. I mean, we and, and banks have been doing that for a long time. They have, um, and, and not uh, not much, with, uh, not, not with, with Monika, but like with taking data, trying to analyze what are like, if I have a, like what, what is the next best action or next like most likely thing that person will be interested in based on the, what we know about them. But I think what, what the missing piece is making that really kind of, they typically don't relate it to the day-to-day -day spending. For example, if they wanna give you an offer for a, let's say a green investment fund that they reason to believe you might be interested in maybe because you've 
have a green car loan or something. Mm -hmm. And then, um, I mean, the best way to do that probably is when you just got your salary or if you have a surplus on your account. So you can connect like when something happens in your financial life, when you spend, when you get paid. These are good kind of creating the conversation or uh, interaction with you at the right moment in a natural way inside the digital bank. So if you think about most digital banks today, they are organized just around actions. You're moving money, you're paying bills, you're looking at your statement. But I think the smarter banks now are, are moving to maybe make that half the real estate and the other half being personalized insights and trying to keep up a conversation with you in a natural way that feels right to you. Uh, because when most digital banking users are surveyed, they complain, my bank doesn't know me, mm. the offers are out of context. They should be able to do a better job based on the data they have about me and yeah. it just feels not natural. So if you can do a good job of that, that's, that's hugely beneficial for both the bank and the end user. Absolutely, yeah. Now, you mentioned earlier that it, part of your role has been also helping banks accelerate in their digital transformation journeys. Mm -hmm. um, we are now seeing the emergence of, of an entirely new disruptive trend yeah. in financial services with Web3, with sure. uh, uh, crypto, uh, cryptocurrencies, tokenization, etc. Um, so uh, let's explore this area a little bit. But first, I'd like to, to ask you, do you, from your interaction with banks, do you think that they have perhaps caught on with the, the discipline of adopting these new technologies and moving faster to market to anticipate changes that, that they might see coming? Yeah, more than before. Uh, I think that they've, they've accelerated in, in, in that, but I think it's a mixed bag. I think it varies based on technology. Uh, of, of course, uh, like the bigger banks, and we work with both incumbents, big banks and, and neobanks, but more with the incumbents. I think they are, they are more systematically evaluating these things. I think generally what's happening in fintech and whether it's uh, um, distributed finance or, or crypto or other things, I think they're paying more attention to, to, to what's happening. Um, but we see like, for example, I mean, one part of web 3.0 is, uh, is hyper-personalization and, uh, and using data and AI and machine learning to really think they're really embracing that. That's a huge topic with almost every bank we, we talk to. Mm -hmm. uh, so they're investing a lot in that. When it comes to the other aspects, the distributed element, the blockchain, the, I think then it's more of a experimental, experimental project and not at the heart of their digital bank. I think right. then the jury is very much out is that's really is there a need to have finance or all aspects of finance on the blockchain distributed way or is that, that I think that's less obvious. Mm. So I think uh, that that's further beyond, but at least, um, but the personalization aspect the, the uh, is uh, using data for that purpose, that that's now at the heart of what we see. Right, and help me understand. So from, from, a, from a bank's perspective from, or from a, from a uh, partner to banks, yeah. do you see Web3 as, as an emerging threat to the way that things have worked before or is it something that enhancing it is it something that co can coexist with the traditional banking model how do, yeah i i think more coexist i think it's all of this it's a threat it's an opportunity but and, and usually these and that's something you've seen before like when the neobanks first came it's it's initially seen as a threat but then you start seeing more examples of collaboration for mm. banks acquiring startups and, and experimenting and i think uh, but also, this is this is early days, and uh, one thing we we see, but I think we will see more of, is we're seeing a breakup of the value chain of, of banking. Meaning, mm -hmm. historically, most banks they have they are vertically 
completely integrated. They have all the products they offer, whether it's a markets or a savings product on their own balance sheet, and they offer only their products in their, uh, in their brands and their digital bank. Yeah. What we're now seeing is different strategies emerging. Some banks are opening up to, I don't only have to sell my products, I can invite fintechs or uh, other banks to sell their products inside digital banking. Why shouldn't I be able to shop my mortgage from different providers in my bank's app? Yeah. For some banks, that's completely alien. That's letting the competition in. For others, I think it's an uh, invitation to try a new strategy. You can like, just like what happened in the telco business 20 years ago, mm. everyone was vertically integrated then, was deregulated. Now open banking is doing some of the same things. And um, then you have certainly some of the most valuable telcos today. They have no infrastructure. They have no cables or wireless right. towers. They only, um, uh, they, they just good, good at sales and marketing and, and they, they, they buy access to the infrastructure as needed. I think that the same thing is happening. And, and then there are also you, some banks that are maybe moving towards not having a front end and just selling their services to APIs, being the best wholesale bank. So the, you don't have a lot of these examples, but this is, this is starting to happen. So I think we're, we'll, we will see an acceleration of that. So in that sense, all of these things will, will coexist. You mentioned DeFi, but I think also uh, we have embedded finance where the banks are saying, okay, people don't have to access our services just through our app or our website or brands, but we have an API where anyone can embed those things where it matters. I often take the example of like Uber or, or Amazon. If, if I'm in my bank app looking at my Uber transactions, why can't I see the route I went or the tip I paid right there? Why do I have to go back to the Uber transaction yeah. to do that? And vice versa, if I'm in my Uber app and I need to transfer funds, I should be able to do that if the bank has that service. So like. I think that we'll see more of that. It, the lines are blurring where you consume those uh, services. And, and we've all uh, often heard that uh, there's there's this uh, protection towards owning the customer relationship. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's now in the in the world of APIs and embedded finance? You, would you say that that's overrated, or what's what's your your take on that? No, I wouldn't. I, I, I think that's still where the power is. Like if you really if you're the app where people go to for any decision that holds pricing power, then, then that's a very valuable thing. Mm. So if, if whether you're a bank or a startup, if you create a marketplace that becomes the place people go to, mm -hmm. uh, then yeah, that, that's very valuable. So no, I, and I think that's, that's what a lot of banks we work with are trying to do. They're trying to improve the loyalty. They still, most of them still have the privilege that the digital banking app is one of the five or 10 apps that people actually use very, very frequently. Mm. You could say in some ways they're squandering that opportunity by only making it a very narrow transactional finance app. Mm -hmm. Why not add additional service layers around that to expand that gradually and, and uh, to offer more services like, for example, all your transactions that are there. Why not help you optimize your subscriptions or find you discounts or help you become a smarter consumer? I mean, there's a lot of opportunity, a lot of things that are not core, but close to the cores so that banks could add to their apps. Right. So that's one viable strategy, expand into more of a super app around banking. Okay. But we uh, don't see that much yet. Not yet. Um, now, tell me a little bit more. Uh, well, uh, tell me a little bit about this this new functionality about the carbon uh, footprint uh, tracker. Um, uh, how does it work, and, and, and what what need is it uh, satisfying? Yeah, so uh, I think um, it's it's a topic we've been observing for a long time. It's it's one of the things that we feel that like really belongs in digital banking. Um, I mean, people hear the word carbon footprint and 
everywhere, not just in the Nordics, not just in Europe, but the whole world. Like two thirds of people think the environmental, environmental problems are one of the top problems of the world. So people are really concerned mm -hmm. and, uh, and want to do something about it. And, and, and one of, they hear the word carbon footprint, but almost no one knows their own carbon footprint or where it comes from. Um, there are calculators online, but that requires you to answer 50 questions and remember all your flights and uh, how much you drive and, and so on. And, and, and that's like, people are just too busy to do that. It's, it's too high of a fraction, friction to, to do that. But th that's another thing that because banks hold your transactions and almost all your carbon footprint from your activities comes from things you spend on, mm -hmm. we can do a surprisingly accurate estimate of your carbon footprint based on your spending. It's not perfect, but nothing in this world is, but it's still like accurate to, let's say 20 plus minus 20% based on even perfect data. Right. And, um, and that means like, uh, so we offer now services with several banks, both here in Iceland, and we're going live with a major bank later this month in, mm -hmm. in, um, in, in, in Europe. And we're also live in Portugal with a, with a bank there called Moi, where we have, core part of the online bank is they're asking their users, do you want us to estimate your carbon footprint? Yeah. And then um, if they say yes, they uh, so it's an opt-in thing, then we give you an estimate. We might say, hey, your last month, your footprint, we estimated it to be 800 kilos of CO2. And, uh, and then you can, that's the first step, but that doesn't tell you much at first. Like, is that good or bad? Like most people have no idea. Yeah. So we help kind of relate that to national and global averages and tell you where it comes from. Most of it typically comes from some kind of energy, like your, whether it's your housing or transport or flights, also a little bit from clothes and fuel and so on. And, and the carbon intensity varies a lot. So then we also tell you how you relate to others. Are you more doing more or less than people around you with similar household size? And, once you get a feel for it, it's a little bit like Fitbit. Like I have Fitbit now and mm -hmm. it gives me a surprisingly good feel for my resting heart rate and the steps I take after I wear it and while and see interesting statistics about it. Exactly the same with your carbon footprint. If you just see it there automatically, then you get a feel for it and you can make start making changes. And you mm -hmm. can either modify your lifestyle and we have articles and best practice advice to help you do that, mm -hmm. to reduce the footprint of your spending. Or, but you can never go to zero. That's neither realistic nor desirable. We also facilitate making it super easy to offset your uh, footprint with highly high quality offsetting projects that you can trust. Right. And again, the, the reason this belongs in digital banking is it's so convenient. It's fully automatic. It's one step away from the offsetting. So it reduces the threshold dramatically for people to do something about their, their footprint. And it's also good business for the banks. Banks are now in the business of funding the transition to green, which is a, will take years and decades. Mm -hmm. And that's good business for them. In some cases, they're making better margins on green loans or, or, or green products. And uh, part of that is helping their customers transition. So it uh, belongs very well in digital banking. Right. And in your view, what does banking look like in 2030? That's, uh, uh, yeah, that, that, that's a good, good question. I, I, th I think we'll see much more of this marketplace thing where you have, I think it's probably at, at that point still dominated by apps, but, but two things, you much more marketplace things like you can access all your data regardless of where you bank mm -hmm. and, um, and you will have more choice in, in those apps. I think also um, it, it will start evolving towards Instead of picking a bank, you're picking a smart advisor. So you're picking a system or a 
could call it a, a virtual AI-driven advisor that tries to optimize your financing for you. Mm -hmm. So it will be much smarter and it will offer you ways to, even on autopilot, find the best deals at any given time or switch your subscriptions or like, and, and, and maybe a little bit further than that, you will, you will fully, you will choose your virtual assistants in different topics, including finance, and those assistants you will give, uh, kind of give them uh, permission to choose the banking service providers behind that. I, th I think that's, that's what we'll see over time. Right. Well, that you paint a, a really, a really exciting picture to look forward to. Yeah, I think so. I, th I think there's a lot of. Uh, I mean, virtual assistants can be so much smarter than we see today. I mean, today's technology can be super impressive, and, and in eight years' time, it will be substantially more impressive. So yeah. yes, that's where we're headed. So uh, just just to close, tell us how will Meniga support this transition towards the vision that you've just painted for us? Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, the heart of our R and D and and our, I mean, our mission statement has this like we are making digital banking smart and personal so mm. that's what we're working on a smart uh, assistant inside digital banking that helps you take better decisions for your finances mm. and, um, and and that will continue to evolve so we're we're at the middle of that uh, evolution doing our small thing right well that's that's great and that definitely gives us something to look forward to yeah so thank you so much for coming and spending time with us and no for my, my pleasure thanks for uh, for having me. It's been great having you here. Yeah, Thanks very excellent. much. Yeah.